What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Extreme Drummers podcast, episode six. Hope everybody's doing well and keeping safe and relatively sane as this craziness continues. Um, as always, huge, huge thanks to everybody who's still listening and who's still loving the podcast. Um, yeah, it's blowing me away how many people are still into this and loving it. And yeah, safe to say we got a lot of really cool guests coming up. Um, but yeah, this week is a little bit different. Um, my guest that was meant to be on this week had a bit of a last minute schedule change and we tried to rearrange it to make it work but with my schedule and their schedule couldn't make it work and you know this whole thing is no stress because no one's getting paid this is all for fun out of the um the joy for the joy of talking about drums so uh yeah so we just thought ah screw it we'll just do next week so as of next week it will be back to normal but this week um yeah i was thinking should I just cancel and not do a podcast this week? But then I thought, nah, I like the weekly thing. It's cool. Um, gives my week some momentum and um, and helps. Um, yeah, and, you know, I thought it would be a bit crap after only a few episodes to have to not do an episode. Uh, or I thought maybe I'll squeeze someone squeeze someone else in the last minute. But then I thought that's not really fair on whoever I squeeze in because I like to do a couple of days of prepping and, you know, catch up with what they've been up to and get some questions down. So, um yeah, so I just thought, screw it, I'll try this Q&A thing. And yeah, I've been absolutely blown away by the response and how many questions that have come in. So yeah, I've had over like over 50 questions. So I don't think I'm going to be able to get through all of them, but I'll, I'll get through as many as I can. I'm going to, I think I'm going to just cap it to 45 minutes to an hour maximum. Because uh, I think anything more than that will be way too boring listening to my dulcet tones for more than that's just going to be really boring and annoying so but yeah massive thanks to everybody who sent in questions i'll do my best to get through as many as i can um and yeah and yeah um, maybe i'll do because it's inevitable that there'll be a probably a, a second time this happens where a guest has to rearrange because i only ever line the guests up a week in advance i'm not very prepared um much like everything in my life it's all a little bit last minute so uh yeah so I, maybe i'll do a part two um, where I can answer ones that I don't get to answer. But <clears throat> yeah, either way, thank you so much. As always, um, you can keep up with the podcast in normal places like uh, Instagram at Extreme Drummers Podcast or Downwilding Drum, extremedrummerspodcast.com. Um, YouTube, search Extreme Drummers Podcast. I think that's all the ways. And obviously all the regular stuff, uh, Spotify um, and Apple Music or Apple Podcast, I think it's called. Anyway. I'm rambling already. This is going to take forever. Um, yeah, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna start with the questions that I got messaged. I'm gonna start with the ones that came through on the podcast um, Instagram, and then I'll move to my personal Instagram, and then Facebook, and then I'll move to comments, and I'll just try and get through as many as I can for you guys. I'll try not to ramble. I like to ramble. But um, yeah, so uh, episode six, Extreme Drummers podcast is Q&A. Oh yeah, and I've had a couple of questions about, I can I can answer this straight off the bat. Um, I had a couple of questions about the opening song, like what band is it, who is it? Uh, it's actually just me. I, I'm a little bit of a wannabe guitar player and I came up with this riff a, a little while back and I just recorded it into my uh, <coughs> computer with a you know guitar, kind of cheapy guitar plug-in and my electronic drums. And that's what's become... What I call the jingle. Obviously, it's not a jingle, but yeah. So um, anyway, yeah. So there you go. 
first question answered. Um, Extreme Dramas Podcast, episode six. See you on the other side. And we're back. Me again. Um, how's everybody doing? Right, so let's get straight into it, shall we? Right, so I'm on the Extreme Drummers podcast. Uh, messages. Right, so I think we're good. Are we good? Yeah. Right, I've got them lined up. So hope everybody doesn't mind me saying their names. Maybe I'll just say the first name. So then, you know, if people don't want to get... I don't know. Right, anyway, so this is from Matthew. Um, Coming from a touring drummer myself, what are some ways to keep yourself healthy on the road? I try to limit the amount I party, but with long drives and late nights, sometimes it's unavoidable to get burnt out. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's a tough one. Um, I think it all depends on the situation as well, because, like, um, again, I'm I'm lucky I've played in lots of different bands, but... um, with carcass it's relative it's relatively easy and i know that i'm very lucky for that because most of the time we have hotels and we have um tour buses we don't have to drive ourselves um it's relatively easy you just have to try and even then though like you know especially with carcass we do crazy traveling like um especially flying because jeff loves to fly so um we've done on two occasions we've done columbia trips where we've flown from to like random places in columbia where we've done um from if i remember correctly it was london to amsterdam amsterdam to panama panama to bogota and then a like a three-hour drive from bogota to the place we were playing and it ended up being like 40 40 hours or something and then we we were there for two days and then we returned home did the exact same trip back and we've done that twice so uh <clears throat> yeah like that just destroys you because you know sleep wise and you just don't it, you have to kind of way up sleeping or eating because you don't have time for both so <laughs> usually i just choose sleep because uh, i love to sleep um but yeah it's a tough one man i think um when i was with aborted especially and trigger the bloodshed those those times were a lot harder because we were driving ourselves every day really long drives as you said and kind of not getting any sleep or sleeping on the side of the road which is kind of impossible uh, to get good quality sleep but i think you know prioritizing prioritizing food for me is a, is a big one like um there was a long time when i didn't prioritize food i prioritized um i don't know kind of other meaningless shit like you know oh you it's there's food now or if you catch a bus then you can go into town and um you know do a meet up or something or go to a drum shop or like you know go see this thing and it's and then it, you know i'd be destroyed by the time the gig came because i didn't eat or um so I think eating and eating as, as well as you can, like even if you go to McDonald's, like try and get salad or try and get some kind of some kind of vegetables. Um, obviously, partying is is sometimes part of the job. But um, yeah, just uh, always be aware, always drink as much water as you can. Hydration is a big one, especially as a drummer. Um, yeah, man, it's tough. Like I think prioritizing eating as good a food as you can and sleeping as much as you can and hydrating yourself. Um, and not being sucked into the parties all the time. Like you can, you know, you can hang back and watch the parties happening while you drink a, a Pepsi or something or a Coke, and um, 
you know, not have a hangover. I've had that a few times, especially if you're driving. I find it helps if you're the driver. That's kind of, or maybe make yourself the driver <laughs> so you can't drink. But then obviously, you know, it's not, maybe not quite as fun. But yeah, man, prioritizing as good food as you can. Eating, eating as much as you can, like, you know, three times a day. Uh, especially, again, drama, physical, all that stuff. So, but yeah, it is tough. It is tough. Um, but yeah, I hope that's helped. Right, the next one is from Chris Williams, who is a drummer for the band Shrapnel. Well, good drummer. Check him out and check out Shrapnel. It's a good band. Um, avid listener of the podcast. So uh, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, so he said, my best, your best memory playing live and your worst. That's, uh, yeah, it's a good one. I've got a lot of bests. Like, um, I can, uh, off the top of my head, um the first show we ever did what well, of oh, the first show I ever played with Carcass was was a game changer for me because well obviously it was playing with Carcass but it was such a whirlwind we played the underworld we did three nights at the underworld and before that I'd, I'd already been in the band for two years and we'd recorded and we hadn't released Surgical Steel yet but we'd recorded it but we'd never played a show together which was fucking crazy and um and yeah there was obviously uh we booked these underworld gigs kind of last minute and it was three nights and all of us were stressed and all of us were nervous. I think Bill and Jeff more so than me and Ben because, um, you know, it was their it's their band, you know, and they hadn't played since, well, in like 13 years or something or whatever it was. So <clears throat> so there was so much stress and everybody was nervous and like the sound check was kind of nervous and we're all like, you know, there's we're all kind of being nice to each other and whatever and, you know, everyone was happy. But un under the under the surface, there was this boiling pressure and nervousness um and i remember it i remember it like clear as day the, it was it, even to the <clears throat> to the middle of the gig to the middle of the show like the crowd was going incredible like we were playing really well the sound was great like it was all good but i couldn't relax like i was still thinking too far ahead of myself you know like i was just like don't fuck up what's coming next ah you know what's the next transition what's the count in for the next song um but it was i remember the minute because <clears throat> we almost always do like an intro and then heart work we still do that to these days like um we'll play something and then it will go straight into heart work and i think we played um i think we played corp corporeal into into heart work anyway but yeah heart work was the last song and i remember we started heart work and then you know after the blast bit when the main riff comes in the do 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 i remember just it hit me then, and like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm on stage. I'm not playing a cover. Like, I'm on stage with Bill and Jeff, like, playing in Carcass, a Carcass song. And, you know, I'd played Heartwork in other bands. I'd listened to it a million times. <clears throat> and it was just, yeah, this crazy, surreal, unbelievable moment that obviously has stuck with me this whole time. So, um, yeah, that's a really good... Another one was, um, again, I got a, a bunch of um really good ones um we the first time with carcass when we played um argentina we played buenos aires in this old theater and it was just there was loads of people there and from the start to finish they just didn't stop going absolutely crazy singing the songs it was like a football crowd you know where they like sing all the riffs um and we loved it so much like we we had a hour and 20 minute set but then like after it all of us were just loving it so much like Jeff was just shouting songs at us, like, right, let's let's play this now. 
And we were like, oh shit, we hadn't practiced that one. Oh, fuck it. You know, they don't care. You know, there's, there's like 2,000 people just kind of jamming along with us while we, uh, yeah, we just had fun and jammed songs out. Um, yeah, that was, that was mind blowing, that one. That was incredible. And the first time we played Japan, because uh, that was, I've, I'd never played Japan before. Always wanted to go to Japan. Always wanted to play Japan. And we played this festival called Loud Park, which is a big festival in Tokyo in this massive indoor arena. And um, <clears throat> yeah, again, it was similar to the Underworld shows, I think, because we were all kind of nervous and stressed because Japan's Japan's big for everybody. I think Japan's got this kind of real kind of tie with metal music. It's kind of it's always been, you know, a kind of holy grail place to go and play and yeah we had this really good slot um <clears throat> on this festival and it was just from the opening song to the end it was just magic like the crowd was just incredible and we we all played really well the sound was good and that yeah that will always stick out as one of the best and also i met mitch from tama afterwards and he offered he asked if i wanted to be a, a tama in dorsey and i was like fuck yeah so <laughs> that was like uh yeah that was <clears throat> still one of the best moments um uh another moment um oh yeah we had a crazy crazy moment with heaven shall burn i played with heaven shall burn for a couple of years for anyone who didn't know um we headlined this festival called with full force in eastern germany we had two two setups because they they always pride themselves in doing like really cool um live show setups and we had it <coughs> we had this thing called a kabuki which is a, a backdrop but it's on kind of um hydraulic clips so when you press a button the backdrop just drops um so and in front of this kabuki we had like a small setup like a four-piece drum kit and like half stacks like a little punk setup and for the first few this was main stage at, um with full force headlining set and uh for the first few songs it was like a punk set like not really any lights no real production just this little punk thing and then for their big song which is Ensight. Um, when the intro went off we went behind this kabuki and behind the kabuki there was like this three meter drum riser pyrotechnics like co2 cannons led wall like there's this fucking crazy rammstein-esque setup and when the song kicked in the kabuki dropped and um and yeah like, and the the pyrotechnics went off and oh it was just, again it was just like a magical situation the crowd was incredible there was this crazy storm happening as well so there was like lightning going and like you know insane like torrential rain and um but oh it was just magic and like we played we played really well the crowd were incredible um it was exhausting though because i didn't have a drum tech and i had to set up all so i had set up two full drum kits on two separate um risers and i had to break it down at the end of the day um yeah so it was a long day and a lot of emotion and uh but yeah it was incredible as far as worst moments um uh, i mean little like these are little things that they always stay with me but i remember once in <coughs> Richmond, Virginia, of all places. Um, oh, God, I can't remember the name of the venue. It's a classic venue in Richmond. But um, I put my drum rug on top of a rug that was already on stage, um, just stupidly in my kind of absent-mindedness. And um, my left bass drum pedal, um, you know, the spikes that are meant to go kind of through the, the drum, drum cover into the ground, they were going through to another rug so the left pedal just constantly 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 was slip moving forward constant like uh, literally every time i hit it it would just move forward and it was a fucking nightmare and um i had to i can't remember what i did but we we found some kind of like 
I don't know, it was like a brick or some kind of weight, and we had to put it in front of that, but it still kept moving. Oh, it's just awful. Um, <clears throat> another one was when a monitor, massive monitor wedge fell on my back, <laughs> which uh, which wasn't very nice. I ma- I managed to just about keep playing, but yeah, I, like I yeah, I really fucked my back up there. Like it just wasn't um, kind of screwed down properly and just out of nowhere I was in the middle of a song and it just fell on me and I was like oh what the fuck is that and uh, yeah this massive monitor wedge was just just slammed me into almost head first into my drums that was pretty funny but yeah so that's a couple uh thanks Chris thanks for listening and thanks for being a legendary drummer right this one is from Max uh what routine would you recommend for increasing both hand and foot speed i've hit a wall and can't seem to get any faster right um yeah this is quite a um common question actually there's so there's a few people that ask this i definitely find that um increasing speed is a is a definite um little and often thing this is from my experience and i can only tell you from my experience of course but um Little and often, so I'd say, you know, even five or ten minutes a day of doing um, kind of what me and Dan Preslin were talking about, this kind of drills. Like, um, um, so an exercise I've used pretty much since right at the start, since the start of my drumming career, as it were, um, is just playing the half halftime groove. So halftime means snare on the three. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And underneath that, just playing straight sixteenth note single stroke roll, um, and then obviously on your on your right hand or your leading hand, you just play, you just keep time, so you play a quarter note or eighth note thing on your right hand, um, and then just play straight sixteenth notes underneath and sixteenths, excuse me, with the same um, at the same tempo is counted like one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a for anyone who doesn't know what sixteenths are, um, and like even now if i'm trying to build my speed up again because I, I don't play a lot of speed drumming anymore like super fast speed drumming anyway um if i want to build up my speed again i will i will just do that over and over and over again and even now i start at a, a really comfortable tempo so a com- super comfortable tempo for me is 120 uh, 120 beats per minute and i will i'll do 120 beats per minute for like a minute two minutes straight and then i'll move up in 10 beat per minute increments so 120 130 140 all the way up till I mean, I can play 60 notes for uh, about 60 seconds comfortably at about 210, 215 these days, 220 uh, on a good day. Um, so, um, yeah, so I just I just work up that. And that's that's kind of my speed regime even now. Um, and that c- that can take it can take 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. But the key is that I really don't think pushing yourself crazy amounts is is a great idea it's never worked for me it's always burnt me out um, and it's always set me back more so i found little and often like that so like even again even five minutes a day 10 minutes a day just doing even if you do 120 to 150 so like 120 or 100 to you know 100 beats a minute to 150 with just doing that basic groove over the top with just straight 16th notes underneath for as long as you can um going from 100 when you, once you're done one or two minutes of that 110, 120, 130, um, up until you feel comfortable. The main thing is control, like understanding at each tempo what your feet want to do and what they're trying to do. And the slower you go and the more comfortable you get at each of these slower tempos, the more you can figure out how to um, how to adjust what you need to do to go faster because speed is all about um, relaxation and control. So 
Um, and also, side note, you might be able to guess who next week's guest is, but he's probably the best person to ask about um, all this stuff. So I'll make sure I get some of these questions in next week's podcast. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so um, what was I saying? I totally forgot what I was saying. Fuck. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, control. So the more control you have and the slower you do stuff and you understand what your feet are doing at those slower tempos, you can then transpose that even higher. And the more time, like when you get to a tempo that's challenging, um, because in theory, because you've got all this knowledge at the slower tempos and you're super, super comfortable at those slower tempos, you can think, ah, okay, at that slower, te- at th- when I was getting used to that tempo, I had to do this, you know, to make it easier. Maybe I'll try that and this. Oh, that didn't work. Maybe I'll try something else. So it's consistency. It's control don't worry about speed like speed comes with time it really does so um just focus on control consistency um and and yeah relaxation man like you got to you got to really try and relax especially if you're hitting a plateau like 180 is always that classic plateau level it was for me as well and i really had to learn how to relax into the stall and let my pedals and ankles do more of the work as opposed to my upper um you know my upper legs and my upper body and my um, you know, my whole leg. You got you got to move away from that the faster you go. And I think, yeah, consistency. Um, and also the annoying thing is, and anyone will tell you this: once you get once you gain that speed, maintaining that speed is incredibly hard because you have to keep doing that. You have to keep doing it every single day, like literally every single day. I think we've talked about this on on the podcast before, but even having a week or two off can just can completely fuck you up. I guess it's it's because it's all muscles, isn't it? It's like going to the gym. If you had, you know, six months off at the gym, you wouldn't just go straight in and try and lift what you were lifting six months ago. Um, I assume anyway, I'm not a gym person. So maybe that's a completely terrible analogy. But um, yeah, either way, I hope that helps. Um, and also, I've been working on it for about a year now, almost. But I've got some very interesting, cool educational lesson stuff uh, coming out soon. So anyone who's interested, please keep posted on my social media because there'll be some stuff about that soon. Um, right, cool. So next one. Uh, this is from Jacob. Do you have any tips for drummers trying to make playing their career? Good question. Um, not really. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I don't know. I think, oh man, it's tough. It's really tough because we've talked about this on the podcast before too. I think it's, um, I think it's quite dangerous getting into drumming and music in general expecting it to be a career because it's it's so hard to make money like being completely transparent I've only really made money as a drummer since I've been uh since I've been in carcass really I made you know I made some money with Heaven Shall Burn I made a tiny bit of money with uh with Aborted um but it is incredibly hard to make money man and I think what you have to do is just and this is from my experience. I never, ever, ever expected that I would be the drummer in Carcass. I never, ever expected I'd be the drummer of Heaven Shall Burn. I never even expected to be the drummer of Aborted. You know, and I was a fan of these bands growing up. Um, you know, massive fan, still, still a fan of all of those bands, obviously. And um, and I think you have to do it because you love it, and you have to do it because you want to do it. Um, and um, you, that should be your driving force, um, not money, not fame. I know, again, that's probably easy for me to say in my position, but um, 
Yeah, a, a big one for me as well has always been, and this is largely because I I just love drums so much and I love playing, is you have to say yes to pretty much everything. Like if there's an offer, if anyone offers you to do something, some you know, any project, um, just say yes because you never know who's going to be involved in that project and who's going to hear it and who's going to be like, you know, you could think it's nothing. And then, you know, you say yes and you do it and it turns out the manager of some other band is a friend with, with the person that you did the song with or you know you just never know where your um drumming is going to turn up or you know you're you're creating if you're not a drummer so just say yes to as much stuff as you can play with as many people as you can also and a, this is a big one too i've talked about this on other podcasts not on my podcast i don't think yet but like just be a nice person like don't be a dick like <laughs> i know that's easy to say but um Try and remove your ego from as many situations as possible and try and try and think that you are the least important person in each situation. That's how I try and approach everything is like, especially when you're sessioning, man, because like if you're a session guy and you come in and act like you're more important than the band or the artist that you're there to do a session for, then you've already you've already lost like all the people I know that have had, you know, successful careers or are especially session people are just like the nicest most chilled super cool people and yeah you just gotta try and remove your ego try and remove your expectations um and just do it because you love it and say yes to stuff i mean you don't have to if you really don't want to do something don't say yes like i'm not saying say say yes to absolutely everything even if it's you know doing something that means you're gonna cry because <laughs> it's still music at the end of the day you have to enjoy it on some level but yeah playing with as many people as possible um, and I think, you know, there's a great, um, so, as much as, you know, we talk shit about social media, social media especially is such a great tool to get your drumming out there. But I think the thing to be aware of is to try, is to be honest, like don't try and do what someone else is doing, like try and do what you're doing and, um, you know, try and be as you as possible because, again, this goes back to being in a band or being a session player. Like if they want, oh, you know, I like what this guy does. Well, then they'll probably just get that guy. So, you know, to it's good to be able to play different stuff, but it's also, from my experience, again, this is all from my experience, they, you know, most artists or producers or whatever will want you to give a version of what they want. So they won't want it. To, they won't, they'll say, you know, they could say, I want you to do a Dave Lombardo bit but they're not expecting it to sound exactly like Dave Lombardo. You know, it'll be, we. I want to hear your interpretation of something Dave Lombardo would do. And that's why I think it's, yeah, just be honest, man. Because if, if you're doing something um, honest, then you'll always enjoy it, I think, even if it doesn't bring you money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm rambling loads on these. So I hope that helps. But, yeah, I guess these are all quite uh, tough questions. But, right, okay, so next one is... Ooh, Wizard of Middle Earth. Um, uh, yeah, cool name. Favorite type of blast beats and why? Favorite non-traditional metal beats you like to hear in metal? Oh, uh, favorite blast beat, hands down, is just traditional blast. You know, I still think it's the best. The sixteenths um, on the hands with eighths, eighth note bass drums um, on on the ride is. I think it's just the best. <laughs> I really like the. I don't know what they're called, like the hyper blast things where you're playing like eight like da, 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 on the snare 
with double kicks going crazy, 16th notes underneath. And like uh, Inferno from Behemoth does them a lot where, you know, like changes the accents up on the China over the top of that. But yeah, just the traditional blast, man, still sounds the best. When you hear a good, clean blast beat, traditional blast is still just fucking killer. So that one, that one's a winner for me. Um, and favorite non-traditional? Ooh, I don't know. That's tough. There's a lot of that. Um, I really like what Dan Preslin does. Um, like those kind of things are cool when people bring in uh, other influences into uh, into street. That's why I really like Eli Casagrande too, because he, you know, he brings the um, uh, Brazilian samba stuff in, and you know, his his phrasing and his accents are, are really interesting and really cool. Um, I really like uh, I really like Dirk Verburen. He's got he's one of my favorite drummers of all time. He he comes up with some really cool stuff, and he's got like a crazy swing. He can ju- he can just groove. Um, but yeah, just people who bring stuff that's not just you know. There's nothing wrong with that. I do that a lot. But you know, people who and things that maybe aren't traditional in extreme metal. So anyone that's doing that, I'm big into. So yeah, thank you for the question. Right. So oh yeah, this one was a good one. So this is from. Ike, I believe. What's up, Dan? Uh, 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 uh. I've been experiencing on and off again problems in my snare wrist and was wondering how you've been working to manage the wrist issues you have. Do you think it's more of a repetition-related injury from exceeding normal range of motion, etc., etc.? Right, so this is really interesting because, um, yeah, so I had some wrist issues recently. I've had wrist issues in the past, but it was it was pretty debilitating debilitating i can't talk um debilitating um a little while back and turns out i had to i had to go to a um well i didn't have to but i chose to go to a um what are they called is it physiotherapist i guess it is yeah anyway uh, and i had some kind of therapy and turns out i've got i had and i have again now a huge amount of tension in my upper body and it's linked to posture I think it's definitely linked to bad habits in drumming. So like um like for example what one of the things I'm trying to work on at the moment is um improving my left hand technique for blast beats <coughs> especially because I've used this this thing that's kind of a bodge technique for a while. Um and it um you know it works but it's just not good and I sometimes end up at the end of a gig with like burning wrists and stuff and it's like I can just tell it's just not it's just not great. Um, so, and on a good day, I can, I can pull off like what I consider quite good left-hand technique, but when I'm in, you know, a gig situation with stress, um, you know, when I'm in my practice room, I can, I can really, you know, pull off much better technique on my left hand. And I know, obviously I know all the theory and all that kind of stuff, but when you've got the pressure of live and, you know, tired because of jet lag or whatever, I always end up going back to this kind of bad habit technique and it's it's i think it's things like that um and my posture i know my posture is not perfect um that have caused kind of tension in my upper body and it it resonated in my wrist so much so that when i I was moving some some guitar amps around or something at the uh store at the band storage space and it something just twinged in my arm and and like i I couldn't move my wrist and um it was like two weeks before i long festival run as well which was a fucking nightmare but yeah i had this therapy um this physiotherapist who yeah said basically you've got a lot of tension and, and needed to release a bunch of so did a bunch of stuff that helped um remove tension in these certain pressure points and and it helped like i was getting migraines too like i was getting regular regular migraines 
um, like really harsh migraines and it was all linked. Um, so I think what, from what I can tell, because I think Ike goes on to say about his experience, he says, I think it has a lot to do with me playing in a cold practice space. Um, yeah, so I think from that all kind of goes back to the same thing. I think that's, um, it's tension because when you're obviously when you're cold and, and you're not warmed up, your body's going to be tense and it's not going to be as relaxed as it wants to be. So I think warming up and yeah, playing in a warm practice room or just warming up carefully before you do stuff um, really, really helps, I think. Um, and obviously I've been a lot more aware of my posture and aware of my technique ever since I'm getting some more uh, wrist issues now, but I've also noticed it, it ties in with, cause I've got two young, two young children. And I notice when I pick them up a lot, um, I think the way I hold them puts a lot of pressure on my left wrist because a, a lot of the time I hold them in my left hand and, and you know, they, they're they older now and they like kick around and they, you know, fuck around and they're just, you know, tantrums and all that kind of shit. And I, I notice a lot of pressure on my wrist when that happens and I've had a few wrist problems recently. And I'd noticed that's a thing. So it's, it's almost um, non-drumming related things that have affected my drumming. And I think it's from... The sounds of it, it sounds like like you may be having a similar thing, especially if it's cold. Um, yeah, that will be a big, a big one because your your body's straining um, to try and warm itself up and to try and do these things. On a side note, I also drumsticks really um, played a big part in my. Th I used to use really big drumsticks, like I used to use marching sticks initially, um, and then I moved down to like Vic Firth rocks. And then I moved down to two Bs and I used two Bs for a long, long time. But I kept intermittently getting problems with my index finger, like uh, nerve issues in my index finger. And it was it was awful. Um, and then I just decided, like I, I was practicing one day in my practice room and this thing wouldn't go away. And I, I started using lighter sticks. Like I went right down to, I had an old pair of 5As lying around and, uh, and it just disappeared. And... Then I, then, then I went back up to three A's and then five B's and then um, eventually up to two B's again. And then within about two months, it came back. And I've realized now it's it's obviously something I do when I play with bigger sticks. Maybe my hands aren't made to play with bigger sticks or whatever. Or maybe, again, it's to do with my posture changes because the sticks are bigger. I don't really know. But um, So now I've kind of settled on a five B and I've never had any, any issues since I've been using five B's. So... Again, you could try looking at your sticks. Um, posture, again, um, be relaxed, be in a nice warm setup. Um, and yeah, just yeah, try and avoid tension at all costs. <laughs> right. Um, okay, cool. So I hope that helps. Right. So Richie says, what is your biggest pet peeve when you watch or hear other drummers play and live or studio? Ah, nice. That's a little quiz question. Um, so yeah, uh, interesting. Like, biggest pet peeve. Ooh, okay, so my, I mean, I can, I guess I can tell you. It's in extreme metal drumming, it's when players don't play with any power, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, like, I get there is a, it's a bit of a derogatory term, but tappers, I guess, you know, people that don't, I know, and I know with a lot of faster drumming, it's hard to have power, but, you know, there are a lot of drummers out there that do it, it that, that play with, with power and, you know, oomph at the fast tempos and uh, i don't know it just it it doesn't impress me when someone's super 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 fast but they're literally like brushing the snare drum and the ride cymbal 
Like, uh, yeah, that's that's a pet peeve of mine when people don't kind of put because it totally changes the sound. We've talked about this before. Like, there there is a point where you hit too hard and it makes something boxy and weird, but also too light and it just doesn't really sound like anything. It doesn't have any power, and so that's a pet peeve for me. I think. Sorry to anyone who that may offend, but um, and live or studio, hundred percent live. Um, I love the studio, but the pressure of the studio is. Uh, I don't know. It just gets to me. I like. I'm a big in the moment kind of player. I always have been. I like to improvise a lot, and I've always been a big improviser. And I just like. Uh, I find that's harder in the studio, and I I hate going over the same thing over and over and over again, and you know, taking doing five takes of the same song. Like again, I do enjoy the studio. And I like the creation creative process, but live is definitely where my passion sits in the uh, in the drumming realm. So. Um, but yeah, obviously the studio is, is a necessary evil for all this. But and, and maybe it's, you know, maybe I just need more experience in the studio. I don't know. But obviously I've played live a lot. Most of the sessions I do, are, if I do sessions outside of my bands, they've always been live sessions apart from a handful of studio things. But yeah, I, again, also I also think it's down to the producer. If you get, if you find a good producer engineer, um, then yeah, like the guy who did the last Carcass album, David Castillo. He's just a shout out to David if you're listening. He's um yeah, just great producer, super relaxed, um, really nice vibe, and he's a drum nerd too, so that's that's great. Um But yeah, cool, right, moving on. So this is from Hef, T P Heffernan. There are noticeable difference in Tama Iron Cobra six hundred and Tama Speed Cobra double kick pedals. If I'm honest, dude, I don't really know. Uh I can't I'm not really the one to um to tell you that uh, I've never tried the 600 series, I would assume they are great. Um, because if I'm honest, I think there's a little bit too much emphasis put on what type of pedal you play. I, it's like it honestly doesn't really matter. I've seen some unbelievably good players play on like single chain. I mean, fucking Gene Hoglan, uh, until recently, I, I don't know if he still does, but he plays on old Camco pedals and he's, you know from the 80s or whatever and he's he still rips so i think just you know try them out in a shop i think if you can't i mean obviously now that's gonna be tr- that's gonna be a little bit trigger but um yeah just just try them dude and i think honestly you can pretty much make most pedals work for you um with enough time spent on them don't worry too much about the pedal though honestly like if they're really cheap and rusty then yes but anything from any of the big brands, um, obviously, especially Tama, shout out Tama, um, is going to be killer. So, like, it, I'd spent, I'd learnt how to play double bass on the Iron Cobra Junior double pedal, and I had that for, I think, five years before I upgraded, and I probably didn't, you know, I probably could still be playing on them now. But um, actually, I've got, a, I've got one of them. I've got, a, I, I got one. I can't remember what it was with a with a kit I bought. Oh, it was in America. We've got a. Uh, Tama, oh, what's it called? Silver Star, and uh, that's the kit that we have over there for touring over there. And it's stored at a friend's house, and uh, it came with a hardware pack with the um, with the Iron Cobra Junior. And I remember when I first got it, I was playing it. I was like, oh fuck, this 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 thing feels sick. I might use this. And uh, everyone was laughing at me like, oh, you always do this. You always change your mind and change your gear every two minutes, which is true. I do change my mind and my gear every two seconds. But yeah, I wouldn't worry, man. Um, focus more on the playing. I'd say, um, and don't worry too much about gear. Gear is, you know, it's 
what's that saying? A bad workman blames his tools. <laughs> so yeah, just um, yeah, hope that helps. Right. So this is from Dario. Dario. I hope I'm saying that right. Right. Um, oh, there's like seven questions here. Right. The first one is tour horror stories. Anything from being almost killed or food poisoned to stage tech disasters. Ah, I told you about the. Uh, I won't spend too much time on that because I've already said about the uh, monitor stuff. Um, 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 party stories. Uh, pff, nothing, I mean, out of the ordinary. I mean, drinking Jägermeister with Kerry King was a highlight of my life <laughs> when we toured with Slayer. Um, <coughs> go to albums for inspiration. Oh, that's okay. That's a good one. Let's try that one. Uh, go to albums for inspiration are usually still the ones that were big influences when I was young. So South of Heaven by Slayer is a classic um, that really kind of, I, I guess what a lot of the stuff I do is I'll listen to older stuff that I, that really got me into drumming. So yeah, Slayer, I'll listen to, um, uh, God, I can't think off the top of my head now. Um, but yeah, so like the albums that I got to, uh, into earlier, because I think it kind of reignites your, in a lot of ways it reignites your kind of, passion again because it reminds you of that place that you were in if that makes any sense um yeah and i've i find i try not to when i'm you know writing stuff i try not to listen to too many like i definitely don't listen to new drummers and i try not to watch like youtube videos and stuff because um like a big thing for me is uh when you're preparing for the studio is try it is trying not to trying to be realist, realistic with your drum parts so if you're if you see something like some drummer's just done and you're like shit i don't know how to play that i'm going to write that for the studio in in six weeks then it's never going to be a fully formed fleshed version of what you want to play do you know what i mean so um yeah i often go back to um yeah the kind of original albums that i can't even think of any man put me on the spot my mind's gone completely blank but yeah south of heaven is a big one for me uh oh shit right yeah i'll have to think about that in a uh maybe in another one but yeah right so what's the next one uh practice regimes you found were favorite um yeah so this goes back to the building speed i think i don't i'm not really a super strict practicer but i always try and do like a speed uh speed drills as as they were uh, try and do them as regularly as possible so as far as a go-to i think that's a really really good thing to do is again just five ten minutes a day um just focusing on your speed um and uh yeah so i still try and do that today otherwise generally when i'm practicing what i try and do is um i will i like to as i said i like to improvise a lot so i'll improvise i'll just jam around on the kit and then when i stumble on something so like if i try and do something and i can't do it I'll kind of write that down and um, and then slow that down and be like, oh, okay, right, how do I get to a point where I can do this better? And I'll spend, well, as much time as I feel I need to spend on it until I move on to something else. And that's that's kind of a good way I've found when I'm kind of looking for things to practice. Or like, yeah, at the moment I'm trying to work on my left hand. Um, so that's taken up a lot of, of my thought process. Um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, just kind of, um, I think it's good to have some kind of, consistency in your in your practicing so like again like try and put in a five minutes where you just work on rudiments or something or five minutes where five ten minutes where you just work on 
uh, speed or five minutes wages work on technique or something. And then, you know, and then at least for 10 minutes you've been productive and then the rest of the time you can just play. Obviously, if you have the mental capacity to um, do longer than that, then that's cool. But yeah, so um, at what point did you start taking drumming seriously? Day one. <laughs> Literally, I had I put the blinkers on from day one. I was like, this is this is all I want to do forever. And I just kind of, yeah. So quite genuinely, I was I was obsessed and incredibly serious from day one. How to get over slumps or pra how do you get over slumps or practice barriers, plateaus? Um, uh, that's a good one. Oh, I think I guess I've just covered that, really, haven't I? Um, kind of um, what was I saying? Yeah, so a good way is to do get something kind of regular into your kind of practice routine. So even if it's because uh, I've again like just doing those speed drills, I find forcing yourself to do them, um, even if that's all you do in a day, then you're improving. Do you know what I mean? So like. Um, even if you do five or 10 minutes of just working on your speed or just working on your double bass drum control or your, you know, whatever, then at least you've done five or 10 minutes of something. And a lot of the time when you've done f a five or 10 minutes of these speed drills or whatever, then the body's kind of warmed up and you're feeling a bit more pumped and then you, you naturally get a little bit more inspired to play. So I find, yeah, so just kind of force yourself into doing those things. Um, next again is what i just said there do some improvising mess around on the kit and then um and then anything you stumble on just just be like oh shit i need to work on that and then take it from there so yeah and i think that's uh i think that's about it right now i'm going to move on to i hope sorry i hope this is all helping and i hope it's not too boring um i'm going to move on to my personal instagram page and answer some of the questions on here Right then, so I'm going to start with, let's have a look. God, there's quite a few. Again, sorry if I can't, uh, can't get through all these because there's like over 50, which was incredible. Thank you so much to everybody. But yes, right. Right, so... I think this is Rob. His Instagram handle is Certified Shitter. Very good. Um, what were your biggest influences for your drum style and how did you go about getting into the metal scene? Also, if you could piece together one massive metal band with any members from any group, who would you pick and why? Wow. Okay, so biggest influences. Um, early on when I first started, it would have been, like first first started when I was a kind of teen, uh, not even a teenager, would have been Dave Grohl, uh travis barker probably um yeah it was a, a lot of time and place stuff because you know i was a almost a teen and those bands were get foo fighters and nirvana and um blink 102 were just the biggest things ever so they definitely would have been early moving up obviously then i got into slayer that changed my life uh so lombardo for sure still massive massive influence first handful of extreme metal drummers that changed my life were nick barker for sure um puritanical euphoric misanthropia by dimmu borgia was one of the first stream metal albums that i bought <coughs> um cruelty in the beast and midian by cradle of filth too so adrian as oh yeah i want to try and get nick on the podcast because he's a 
fucking legend in multiple senses of the word. Um, yeah, so they were big ones. Extreme Metal. Oh, Nile in their Dark and Shrines and Annihilation of the Wicked were, were big ones for me. Uh, extreme Metal-wise. Um, how did I get into the metal scene? I, I'm assuming you mean how did I kind of start playing shows and like getting into bands, I assume. or um, So, yeah, I, I just... Uh, I was going to shows from as early as I could, as early as my parents would let me. Uh, and I'm lucky. I mean, the UK's always had quite good... Um, there's quite a lot of bands. You know, it's the UK. I guess everybody kind of comes here for the most part. So there was always a lot of gigs. So I'd always go to gigs. And in secondary school, I found a whole group of people that were into metal. And they became my best friends. And uh, a lot of them are still my best friends today. And um, yeah, we just went to gigs together and met people and all that kind of stuff. I, the way I got into my very first band was, it was a band from Brighton called Killing Mode. Um, I was still in high school and these guys were, I think, in their late 20s, 30s. But yeah, back in the days way before proper internet, um, it was dial-up, anyone who remembers that. Uh, I was searching on forums for um, bands that needed drummers, metal bands that needed drummers, and there was this Brighton band called Killing Mode, so they were looking for a drummer. And I was like, fuck it, I'll try it. So I sent him a, I can't remember if I sent him a letter or an email. But yeah, anyway, he replied and sent me some uh, tapes I think or CDs with some songs on and yeah I auditioned and I was like some fucking tiny kid and uh, yeah like 15 and um, these were all like grown men and they knew everything about extreme metal and I'd only just heard Nile like six months before but um, yeah and that was the start really I got hooked on being in a band and we did some tour well not tours we did like some kind of local ish tours and we played with we played with a whole bunch of cool bands like we played with Napalm Death and Crisian and um vader and yeah and it was just yeah it was sick and i just got hooked on the metal scene and being in a metal band and yeah kind of moved on from there obviously um but if i could piece together one massive metal band with any members from any group who'd you pick and why shit man that is hard oh dude i don't know um i mean one of my favorite guitarists at the moment is brandon ellis from black dahlia shout out to brandon he's probably not listening to this but uh if you are you're sick love you um uh ooh, that's a good one man uh do 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 vocal vocals <sighs> oh man i'm gonna have to come back to this right i'll think about it and i'll message i'll i'll message you privately about that one or maybe i'll come back to it if i do another one of these q a things yeah that's too tough i should have thought about this right but yeah so brandon ellis would be in there for sure um <laughs> okay and bill bill steer obviously um best guitar player i've ever played with and just a legend and a lovely guy um i don't know what this music would sound like brandon and bill but um bass ooh, who would i have on bass uh i don't know i should probably say jeff shouldn't i um Oh, no, uh, oh man, I don't know. I really don't know. Right, I'll, cu I'll come back to that one. I don't want to waste your time with this dead air. So, um, <clears throat> right, so next one is from Jordan. Drummer or drummers which greatly influenced you growing up? I think I've covered that one um, with, yeah, Lombardo, Nick Barker, Adrian Lanson, Dave Grohl, Travis Barker. Oh, two Barkers in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah. Um, 
any funny tour stories. Again, I think I've I think I've have I covered tour stories. Um can't really remember. Oh, I was thinking about uh uh the funny Trigger the Bloodshed thing that happened the other day. Like we with Trigger the Bloodshed we were like full on DIY tour and we had this old uh really rusty Royal Mail uh delivery van that took we turned it or they turned into like this this bandwagon thing. They had it when I joined the band. And it was this thing was so old and like crusty and stank and it had holes in the roof that we gaffer taped up. And um yeah, one day we were uh driving super early in the morning to um the airport to go fly to Tuska Festival in Finland and you know we were just like oh my god we're playing Tuska it's like this legendary festival and we were getting like a genuinely good fee for it which we couldn't believe in the the promoter paid for our um, flights and everything it was like you know oh my god and then um, <clears throat> we uh, yeah we were driving in the van all of us and like halfway down the motorway the uh, the clutch just exploded somehow <laughs> so that I can't remember what it was the gear stick or something happened and it just it just died and we pulled over and we were like oh my god we're not we're never gonna make it and we called the uh you know the roadside people at aa and um yeah somehow by some miraculous um thing they they managed to do some quick fix and we made it to the airport and on the like the last minute and um yeah we got there and it was just sick it was an amazing gig and we hung out and drank with cannibal corpse and couple of members of Megadeth and it was just amazing but um yeah I mean oh man there's so many stories but that was one I was thinking about the other day so there there you go there's one story um finally favorite flavor of Pringles keeping in theme of the end of podcast questions <laughs> good one um yeah I just like ready salted dude I know that's boring as fuck but yeah man like I don't like all those fake flavors I think they're a little bit um I don't know they're a bit much so uh yeah, just ready salted, dude. They're so addictive, um, especially Pringles. Once you pop, you can't stop. Right, so let's move on to... Ooh, 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 ooh. Right, uh, this is from Philip. Hello, Dan. I have two questions. When you're talking about 200 plus BPM with double bass or blast, are you saying at a quarter note, eighth note, or sixteenth note pulse? Sixteenth note, generally, people will be talking about. Um, and I think I explained that earlier. Yeah, so sixteenth um, notes... Um, Pretty much exclusively, I think is what people are talking about. All right, second, top five favorite drummers and the albums by them that you love influenced you. Oh, right, okay, that's tough. Um, so, uh, favorite is different to influential. Um, I'll, I guess I'll give you some of my favorite drummers right now. Um, some of my favorite drummers are uh, Kevin Parody, who is from Benighted, and a session drummer. He's sick. If you don't know him, uh, YouTube him. Just unbelievably good metal drummer uh nick yakashin from um baptists and sumac again don't know who he is um google him or youtube him he's incredibly good shout out nick uh oh this is hard man favorites 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 uh obviously dan president crim ash adrian uh everyone i've had on the podcast so far and alan obviously uh, Dirk Verburen is has always been a favourite for me, well, and I'm hoping to get him on the podcast very soon. Um, uh, oh, you said five. I've probably had more than five. So yeah, there's a handful of good ones. Most influential, again, I'd say Lombardo, um, Dirk's in there, Nick Barker, Adrian, 
Uh, oh, and Abe Cunningham, random from the Deftones, is is a huge, huge, huge influence of mine. I haven't mentioned him yet. Uh, so much so that when we were recording Surgical Steel, I can't remember what song song I was recording, but um, I went into the control room after I'd recorded, it, and the engineer Carl was like, "Are you uh, you a fan of Deftones by any chance?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, fucking love Deftones." And then he was like, "Yeah, yeah a bunch of your stuff really reminds me of Abe's drumming," and I was like, "Oh shit, I've just brought a bunch of Deftones stuff into Carcass music, so sorry." Uh, Carcass fans, probably not huge fans of that, but <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, hope that helps. Um, I mean, I hope I answered those, but yeah, so um, oh yeah, favorite albums, uh, South of Heaven, Puritanical Euphoric with Cemetery PR, um, Around the Fur by Deftones is a good Deftones one. The first Slipknot album changed my life too, Joey Jordison, big one. Again, I think that was a time and place, I was a young, angsty teen. Um, yeah, there's so many. Shit. Um, ba, ba, ba. Again, George Colias on... Uh, oh, um, Derek Roddy on... Oh, that Hate Eternal album. I'm on Ark. That was, again, a game changer when that came out. Like, fucking hell. This just... It, it was insane. Um, yeah, so there's a few. Right. Right. So, oh, this is Graham. Graham's a big... Um, big fan met him before graham shout out graham what's going on dude hope you're well thanks for these questions these were really cool questions so try and get through them quickly because i think i'm almost at an hour and there's a lot more questions to go so um i'll do a few more and then i'll i'll give up for for today uh right so question number one how do you feel the impact of brexit and visa fiascos will have an effect on bands and in particular carcass yes so i mean i assume most people that are listening to this know what brexit is but if not, it means the UK is now a separate entity from the EU um, and therefore people travelling into the EU from the UK have to have separate visas, um, as far as we're aware anyway, especially musicians. And this is the this is the thing at the moment. Obviously, it's a very political, contro- controversial issue, but... Um, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna massively affect every musician um, for sure, hundred percent. I think. I think bands at Carcass's level and above and even below. You know, I think I think we're going to be alright because we have to deal with these things anyway. Like we have to deal with getting visas and we have to deal with um, carnets. Carnets are where you declare what gear you take in to a certain country and if it's going to stay there and if you're trying to sell it and blah 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 all that stuff. So. Um, so we already have to deal with that stuff. So we always already have, you know, but from traveling as much as we do to the States and Asia and South America and, you know, everywhere. So we're kind of quite well averse in doing all that stuff. And, and a lot of about, ba- you know, every band at our level and above and below is as well. And also, you know, thankfully we have the budget behind us to be able to deal with these things. Um, the, th- the thing that I think is going to be really tough is, is bands that don't have that money behind them and, and you know more underground bands or not even underground bands just you know i've got a lot of friends in bands that have had to um that have you know they've had to pretty much stop the band um because well and that's largely from the the covid thing um obviously the covid situation and then obviously the brexit situation on top is just another nail in the coffin as it were so yeah brexit's really gonna really going to affect them and it's yeah i think bands like us are going to be lucky and i think we're going to do okay if i'm honest but there's so much that goes into it that that people don't really realize unless you know unless there's such a kind of butterfly effect across the board with touring 
that if you know if one small thing gets messed up then a whole heap of other things get messed up and obviously that was already bad with covid and now it's kind of brexit has made it even worse and even harder so but again i think feeling positive about it i think bands like carcass and a lot of bands will be okay but the the smaller bands and the bands that don't have as much financial support um yeah it's just it's fucking shit man it's really really hard but you know i'm i'm i like to think that in you know this is relatively unprecedented same with covid i think um it's going to take a few years for it to all get sorted out and then once it gets sorted out i like to think it's gonna level itself out again and you know up and coming bands are going to be able to to tour easier and, and all that kind of, i really hope anyway so I'm, I'm trying to be positive so i hope that gives you some kind of answer but yeah I, I think carcass will be okay and i think a lot of bands will be okay because we have to deal with this kind of stuff anyway Bre- um covid's been a bigger deal than brexit will be um i guess that's that's my opinion anyway uh number two how do you see the music industry post covid in terms of attendance at shows and profitability for bands again yeah covid's covid's a bigger a bigger hit for us for sure um i i honestly have no idea and everybody i know in the industry and everybody all my promoter friends they have no idea either they don't know how long it's going to take before we can get back to whatever normal is going to be if we're going to go back to normal you know because everyone's talking about masks being in our future forever now so i honestly couldn't tell you but it's definitely going to be different i don't know if it's going to be worse you know it's just going to be different and you know i'm i'm trying to hold out positivity that whatever different is it's still going to be cool because you know we're still going to be able to watch live music and um see bands and hear music and you know and all that kind of stuff so again i'm (coughs) holding out positivity for it being all right (laughs) because we have to i guess don't we um also finally how do you see carcass processing i guess progressing musically in the next five to ten years uh honestly ten years i don't know i don't know if that that will be a thing 10 years i don't know because you know bill and jeff are in their early 50s i don't know if they'll want to keep going in the 60s but you never know um i honestly don't know i think um again this pandemic has really thrown a kind of spanner in the works with all music kind of stuff and you know the way carcass writes music is like there's not really any technology involved um it's get in a room jam it out until you've got a song and that takes a long time hence why it's been eight years or so since the <laughs> since the last album but um yeah so i think uh i don't really know because we're not going to be able to write any more music together and because te- you know i've suggested and we've talked about doing stuff via email and that's just not the way the band works and it never has and it never will so i think um we'll have to wait until we can get back in a room together to see what happens and it's funny because i was speaking to Obviously, I speak to the guys regularly. Um, we speak once a week, pretty much, and uh, just by text or whatever. And um, Bill hasn't played with a pick since in like eight months or something, I think he said. Um, and Jeff hasn't touched his bass since the last show, which was over a year ago. So, <laughs> so whenever we get back together to jam, well, not jam, but, you know, just to practice ready for, uh, I mean, Tom, our guitar player in the States, he's he practices every day. He practices like the, the carcass set every single day. So respect to Tom. But the rest of us are just kind of, yeah, just a bit lazier. But um, Tom's going to be smashing it and we're just going to be like fainting on stage. Um, but yeah, so we're going to, just to even get into gigging shape, we're going to have to do a lot of work in a practice room. So 
I honestly don't know. Like, if COVID hadn't have happened, I would have said we would have probably cracked on with a new album, another new album, um, relatively soon. But yeah, I I honestly couldn't hear. I think just, you just have to watch this space. I think um, I think having this, I like to think that having this break will give all of us like a new lease of life, and we'll want to go at it hard. You know, while Bill and Jeff still want to, considering their age and stuff. So. Um, uh yeah so i hope that answers those questions um cool right so next question right i think maybe i'll just finish these messages and then that'll be it and then next time and then i'll maybe do a part two um if that's all right with everybody sorry that it's taken so long right uh would love to know more about your time in trigger the bloodshed and the album you did with them some bangers on it uh yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, Trigger was Trigger was just one of the best times. Um, yeah, in my life, actually, it was. Yeah, it was kind of like a. Uh, it came. I was in a board for three years. I can't remember if I've already talked about this. I've been talking for so long. Um, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I was in a board for about three years. Incredible experience. Um, and then moved to Trigger the Bloodshed. Um, which was a very different experience. Aborted was very, um, you know, it had kind of management and tour bookers and, um, you know, even though it wasn't fucking Metallica, you know, it was it was very organised and, and, you know, we we had hotels and we had tour buses and, you know, van drivers. And then Trigger was completely DIY, as I said, with, uh, I can't remember if we had a tour booker. But yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I joined Trigger and it was it was by far the hardest the hardest thing musically I'd ever done and I still have ever done. Um everyone in that band was just or still is, as far as I'm aware, completely um good, just incredible at their instrument. And uh, it pushed me to a whole nother level of um kind of drumming that I never thought I was probably capable of because if anyone hasn't heard Trigger the Bloodshed, it's super, super fast, super, super technical. Um and obviously Aborted was a very fast band as well, but Trigger was kind of the next level. Uh, well, I mean, Aborted now with Ken Bedeni is just, is unreal. So, <laughs> yeah, so check out Aborted there, fucking smashing it. And Ken is an incredible drummer. But, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so Trigger was just a real amazing experience in a lot of ways. Like, uh, I learned so much about being a musician and a lot about discipline because, because it was so fast and so technical, that was the most I think I'd ever practiced. Um, and I had to be on top of my game before we went on tour every every time. Like, and, and talking about, like, speed drills, I had to do consistent speed drills. Like, I could, I could barely take a couple of days off. And I had to really warm up before every shot to make sure I did consistent warm-ups. Um, and, yeah, I, was, I just kind of really... Uh, I was really pushed um, in that band, which which was amazing. Like, it was it was amazing to have that kind of push and that yeah that kind of um having to kind of keep up with that level of player um which they all were incredible in the band so um yeah and we we were all similar age we were all into similar styles of music uh we all had similar we're all from the uk all had similar kind of sense of humor so we just got on incredibly well and um it was just great fun but it got to a point where because as anybody who knows um again being in an extreme metal band, especially a band that extreme, it's incredibly fucking hard to make money. And we all got to a point where it was just hard to keep it sustainable. And Martin, the um, 
guitar player was the first one to leave and then uh f- to do other stuff he joined um bangle bleed from then from the uk great band uh great drummer i'm gonna get him on soon as well ali shout out to ali uh yeah and he moved and then i got an offer to um session for heaven shall burn um and you know and it was good money and stuff and and so me and martin kind of broke off a bit and then it just kind of yeah it just i mean everyone just i think decided to do their own thing and that's and it's it's a shame because it was so much fun but uh, you know and it was just so extreme and awesome and yeah we're, we're still great friends now that there's absolutely no bad blood and we all still talk regularly and uh, they're all doing their own thing martin is now a successful guitar tech he works with um He's worked with Carcass a couple of times, actually. Works with Architects. Johnny, the singer, is a uh, front-of-house guy now, and he works for Architects, too, and a bunch of other bands. Rob's got a very good job. Uh, he's got family in London and stuff, and Dave, the bass player, lives out in Canada, and he's like crazy super scientist, mathematician, working for the government or something. So, yeah, so everyone's doing their own thing, and um, they're all very successful and happy, as far as I'm aware. Uh, but, yeah, it's a shame. And, you know, I... I'd love to say that we'd we'd do something else together, but I just don't know if we could find the time realistically these days. Maybe maybe like Carcass will come back when we're like fifty <laughs> and try and play all those incredibly fast songs again. But um, yeah, so there you go. There's a bit about Trigger. I I I hope that's enough. Right. So right, I'm gonna go with Anders. He asks. Uh, as a drummer, what are you looking for in a bass player in terms of teaming up in a rhythm section? Right, so that's interesting because obviously bass players and drummers traditionally kind of go together. Um, but if I'm honest, in a lot of the music I've played, the bass has never really been that key at locking in with drums. Um, uh, it's usually just been more guitar bass because obviously I play generally play extreme metal. But I've, I've been in two projects where... Uh, the bass has been a very kind of drum related situation. And one of them was I did a project with Kai Hansen from um, uh, Halloween and Gamma Ray. Um, it was his uh, solo project that he did and I played drums on it. And um, the bass player was the guitar player of, of Heaven Shall Burn and he was playing bass on that album. And like me and him, we're really good friends. Ali Dietz, love you, Ali. Um, we, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun, like, being a bass and drum kind of team uh, which is kind of the first time it ever happened to me so um and another time was with a band called savage messiah um i did a session for those studio session and their bass player uh, mira is a incredible like proper serious bass player and again his stuff is really noticeable and, and locks in with drums and i think uh, it's hard to know again because i haven't had a huge amount of experience with you know bass the bass player drummer dynamic but like with anybody, I think awareness of of other musicians is always key. Like I've I've worked with, or I've played with, um, musicians who just are in their own world and don't even listen to the drums. Uh, let alone the other musicians, and it just makes everything sound horrible and sloppy. Um, so I think for any musician, awareness, self awareness, like being aware of what you're playing, but also awareness of others and being aware of what others are playing what um is so paramount especially in a live situation because you know things can derail very very quickly especially if you've got bad monitors and and all that stuff so um yeah so i just think self-awareness and knowing your parts (laughs) it's classic again i've been in situations where um at least one member didn't know the songs anywhere near as well as they should have 
Um, yeah, hope that helps. Right, I'll move on to Chris. This is Chris. What was it like to take over from Ken and what tracks did you play in your audition? Yeah, good uh good question. Um surreal, I guess is the is is the the main takeaway from that. <laughs> I think it was like the whole carcass experience like um cuz at the time I was uh I just finished sessioning with Heaven Shall Burn which was a amazing two two or three year experience. Um Trigger the Bloodshed had kind of stopped because everyone had kind of moved on. And I was living at my mum's. I was kind of dry driving, half delivery driving, half driving bands around for a living, barely making any money and just wanting to play drums. And I was kind of really depressed like for, uh, for a whole bunch of months. Uh, I can't remember how long it was, like six or eight months. It was just, yeah, it just wasn't great. And I was kind of doing part-time work here and there and, um, you know, just try, just still drumming, obviously. But And then just out of nowhere, I got a Facebook message off Jeff because um, when I was in Aborted, we toured with Carcass in 2008 on their reunion tour. And, um, you know, we got on, we got on well. I mean, especially Bill, me and Bill spoke a bunch of times and, and um, got on well with him. Spoke to Jeff a few times too. Um, again, I wouldn't, you know, we weren't friends at the end of the tour, but we, you know, we got on all right and we spoke a bit. And then, uh, yeah, I just got this random Facebook message saying, what's your number? I need to give you a call. And I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? So this this was probably like 2000 and uh, when would it have been? 2011. So it had been, you know, a whole bunch of years since. Um, no, when was it? 2000. Sorry, 2012, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, so it had been a, a few years since we toured with them, and I was like, shit, what did I do on that tour? Like, fuck, am I in trouble? Like, oh my god. So I got him. So sent him my number, and then he called pretty much immediately, and he and he just said, uh, how would you feel about coming up to, uh, to London to jam with us? And I was a bit like, "Who's who's us?" Like, you know, because I didn't. I thought, you know, Carcass had kind of stopped again, and I thought, "Well, oh, maybe he's got a, another band on the horizon or something." Because you know, as far as I was aware, Carcass weren't doing anything. And I was, and I was like, "Do you mean Carcass?" And he said, "Of course, I mean Carcass, shit." And uh, and I was just like, "Um, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, I, I, yeah." You know, in my head, thinking like, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> why do you want me like what the fuck um yeah and then i got and then bill wanted to call me uh and then me and bill had a really nice chat um quite a long chat i can't remember what we even talked about then but we just had a chat on the phone and he gave me a handful of songs to learn and from my memory it was um corporeal jigsaw quandary heart work and uh oh shit i think it was this mortal coil or no love lost Anyway, it was it was three songs. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was those. Um, God, I should remember this. But um, yeah, and then yeah, and then I kind of I went up to London, and we all met in London, and we're in this little rehearsal studio, which is the rehearsal studio where we wrote Surgical Steel, and we rehearsed f- regularly for years. Uh, it's now a block of flats. Now it's been torn down, which sucks. But yeah, we played the three songs through. And uh, we just played them through once, and um, and they were like, "Yeah, that was cool. Should we go get a beer?" <laughs> and then we went. Then we just went round the corner to a pub, and the rest of the afternoon we just drank beer and chatted. And then uh, we went back um, to pack down all the gear, and and Jeff just said, 
so do you think this is something you'd be interested in putting your time to and i was like fuck yeah so <laughs> and yeah that was it really uh it was it was super kind of super i don't know super chilled it was you know there was no pressure and then yeah it took me a while for it really kicked in you know that i was playing for carcass and that i was replacing ken and obviously i learned a lot about ken's situation over the over the coming months and stuff and and i finally got to meet him i met him for the first time in the studio which is crazy again like we went straight from no shows didn't play a show together to recording an album so within a couple of months me and bill were I auditioned and then within a few weeks actually even me and him were in a rehearsal room just writing an album together which was crazy and then uh yeah in the studio um ken came down to do some guest vocals um well not guest vocals but to do some vocals and uh yeah and i met him then and it was you know i was shitting myself about meeting him because i was like oh my god what if he hates me what if you know what if i say something stupid and fuck it all up and you know um but he literally could not have been more of a gentleman and just not, I mean, not even that. He was just, he's just the nicest bloke ever. And he was just so supportive of me and the band uh, on every level. So, uh, yeah, and he's, he's, and he's come to a bunch of shows and, you know, we text every now and again and, oh, he's just a lovely guy. And it's just, it's, in, you know, it's unbelievably surreal for me being in his, in this position, but also, it's made so much more surreal and so much better that he is also unbelievably lovely and supportive. You know, he could have quite easily just been like, fuck you, kid. Um, but he just hasn't been. He's been the opposite. And it's just, yes, it's incredible. Um, Ken is just the best ever. <laughs> I mean, I hope to get him. I really hope to get him on the podcast. I don't know if it'll be possible um, with his situation. But but yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, so that's that's the carcass, bit of the carcass situation, I guess. Did I miss anything there? I can't remember. Right. Anyway. I hope that helps. I will move on. Hope I'm not missing anything. Uh, 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 uh. Right, let's go. All right, this is from Tom. Hi, Dan. I have a question for the podcast. It's not particularly drum specific, but a wider question. How do you balance your touring, work, life with being a dad? Thanks. Um, yeah, good question. Um, uh, 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 uh. I mean, it's never been a massive massive issue for me i think because me and my me and my wife met um when i was touring a lot um i mean and we were together for a long time before we had kids and ever since they were young i've kind of always been away i mean they're still very young and uh um and i think oh, if i'm honest that the struggle is going to come for me when if if and when this all gets back to normal and I have to go away and they're bigger and they understand what's actually happening. Um, like I haven't experienced that yet. Like um, my wife is, me and my wife are quite independent people. So she kind of enjoys it when I go away because she gets the house to herself and stuff. And she likes kind of looking after the kids by herself and, you know, doing everything her own way and not having me mess everything up. And, uh, you know, and vice versa. Like uh, I'm quite happy being by myself looking after the kids and, you know, this job is quite good in the fact that it in I can be away for six weeks but then I can be home for a month and I have nothing to do in that month so I'm just with the children I'm with the boys every single day for a month so that's you know I don't I'm really lucky that I don't have to work or have a part-time job when I'm home so um so in a lot of ways it's it's better than a lot of situations of course it's hard but you know I think every every situation 
is difficult in different ways. But um, yeah, I'm I'm lucky. Or up until now, I've been really lucky to have you know extended periods of time at home where I don't have to do anything, um, and I can just be with the kids. Um, and again, this last year, I've pretty much just been um, dadding for the most part. Uh, <laughs> and so I've spent more time with them now than I ever have, and it's been incredible. But yeah, so it's it's going to be a different situation as and when we go away again um, because they're older now and they understand. They'll probably understand what it means for me to go away and it's going to be tough for my wife because she's back in full-time working and she's got a really high-pressure job. So um, yeah, again, it's never, thankfully, because of you know me and my wife being independent and the kids being younger, it's, it's never been a huge thing. Obviously, I miss them like crazy when I'm away, but outside of that, practically, um, it's 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 worked quite well but yeah i think it's gonna it's gonna be trickier the older they get let's put it that way so i hope i hope that helps i think yeah i think the key is um being being all right with not being all right with leaving them but uh yeah understanding that in my situation you know it's it's the best job i could ever ask for and if i was if i was uh working a job i hated and only seeing them every weekend and in the evenings and I still hated the job. That would be much harder than going away for you know a bunch of weeks to do a job that I absolutely love. And I think it's having your partner understand as well, because my wife completely understands that too. Um, and again, me and my wife being independent people, you know, we don't 100% rely on each other. That really helps. Um, but yeah, I don't know if that's advice or whatever. This is some kind of therapy for me. But yeah. Um, Right then. So this one's from Juan. I think it's Juan. It says, uh Oh, how did you come to Carcass? I've um oh, I haven't I don't I haven't said that. Oh no I have, yeah. We uh I toured I was playing for aborted, we toured with Carcass, um and for whatever reason Bill liked my drumming in aborted and when they came to wanting another drummer they got in touch with me. Uh experience with the guys, best dudes ever. Um legends. I love it. Um, can't wait to get back touring with him. Uh, do you want to talk about the new Carcass album? I hope you can answer. Cheers. Cheers, man. Um, yeah, so... New album. Should be coming this year. Um, it's... it's a, it's a Yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly don't want to say too much. It's very different from Surgical Steel in a lot of ways. Um, it has some traditional car- Carcass elements. Um but it's also got some shit the band has never, ever, ever done before. Uh, it's got some stuff that I've never, ever, ever done before. I never even thought about doing. It's, uh, I think it's the best album the band's ever done. <laughs> That's a controversial statement and I'm biased, but yeah. So it's almost a shame that the EP came out first because they're the songs that we didn't really like. I mean, people seem to be liking them, which is good, um, but we didn't put them on the album for a reason. It's because we didn't, because we didn't like them, but and, you know, a lot of people keep asking us, asking us um, what's going on. But unfortunately, you know, in these situations, it's not up to us because, you know, the label have paid us money to make this album. This is being completely upfront with everybody. Um, and they basically have the rights to s- reclaim that money however they see fit. And that's kind of why we're we're just kind of waiting for them to tell us the next move um so and yeah it's shit it's it's a shit for us as it is for anybody because you know we've spent years on this album we want everyone to hear it but it will be 
it will be out <laughs> at some point, hopefully this year, and hopefully, uh, yeah. So, I I don't really, yeah I don't want to say too much because yeah I want everyone to kind of be surprised by it and and love it. So, but yeah, it will be out, and it's it's some of the best stuff that the band's ever done. So, I hope that I hope that's some insight. Probably not. Right, I got a couple more, and then I'm gonna say goodbye for now because yeah this is turning into a fucking crazy long one right it's from martin what's up dude um how was the songwriting process with trigger the bloodshed was it in a dram room did you have a lot of say because they were used to an extremely fast drummer did you have feel you had big shoes to fill yeah the fast drummer thing absolutely like i've said before i really had to push myself to the craziest limits that i've ever pushed myself in that band for speed uh, and creativity and all that stuff so yeah i felt a lot of pressure and i did a lot of a lot 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 of um practicing um and speed speed specific practicing especially to get to um to that point where i felt comfortable and it took me a good six to eight months of playing with them live before i felt kind of quote you know quote unquote comfortable in that situation so yeah so that was a that was big shoes to fill uh the songwriting process um it was very those guys were very uh involved in the drum side of things like they were they uh all of them rob and dave mainly wrote the songs martin did a bit of songwriting too and they had um they were good at programming drums and they also had really good songwriting uh drum writing ideas so um uh yeah so they so a lot of the stuff that was in there was was stuff that uh i had i i had to do that you know they'd made a guitar player version of it and it wasn't physically possible on drums so i had to kind of make it possible <laughs> as it were so uh yeah so that's what that's what that's all about um and so uh obviously i had a lot of freedom but they had a lot of they had a lot of input in the drums which was really cool for me because they had a lot of a lot of really interesting ideas and really insanely crazy ideas because yeah they were just super technical and super good musicians so um yeah, it really it really pushed me, and um, yeah, it was just a overall great experience. Um, and yeah, maybe I'll be in a band that hard again, or maybe Trigger the Bloodshed will do something again. But yeah, that was definitely a kind of that was a testing moment for me. It was kind of like a, the holy grail of uh, pushing myself. Um, but yeah, it was uh, great fun. Miss those guys. But yeah, right. Okay, I'm gonna do the last. Oh, there's a couple of questions in here. Right. Uh, oh, this is from Nathan Perrier, legend. What's up, Nathan? Great uh, great drummer from the London area. Um, right. So this is going to be the last one, I'm afraid, everybody, because I've been an hour and a half in. I said I was only going to do an hour, but this has been, uh, yeah, it's too many questions. I'll I'll have to do a a, sec a part two, so we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch about that. Right. So last one. A couple of questions for you. Never been a trigger guy, but once used Dan Ford's triggers. Uh, Dan Ford is the drummer of Sixth, by the way, who's an incredible drummer. Triggers and kick on a tour, and it was super fun and easier to articulate. Would you say using triggers is beneficial in developing double bass chops over not using them? Obviously, there is a movement away from triggers right now, but do you feel they helped in developing your technique? Uh, yes and no. I think we've talked about on the podcast before that triggers, I mean, I hate this trigger hate that everybody has that trigger negativity i think triggers absolutely have a time and a place um and they um they're totally necessary for t certain styles of music especially super extreme metal but as far as learning um 
yeah, I mean, I'm quite lucky that I've had two two experiences. So with almost every other band I've ever been in, it's been 100% trigger. And then with Carcass, I got thrown in with no triggers, just microphones. And it's taken me years to move away from what it's like to play with triggers because playing with triggers, you you don't have to worry about tuning. You don't have to worry about head tension. I mean, the only reason you worry about bass drum head tension is so that the the trigger, you know, pick triggers properly. Uh, it's nothing to do with sound. So you can make it feel however you want. You can make it sound however you want with no negative connotations because the trigger is doing all the work. So that in itself is, um, it makes it its whole thing because then when you move it over to microphones, all you have to think about is the sound. So if you set your bass drum up with how you like it to feel, the likelihood is it's going to sound like shit. So, <laughs> so you need to... You need to kind of morph how you play depending on how good you want it to sound, if you know what I mean. So, And also there's dynamics involved with microphones. So, um, yeah, it's just two completely different worlds. It's a really interesting question. I think, if I'm honest, learning how to be tight and learning how to control your feet um, triggers, yes, are good because uh, it's instant reaction. It's an instant click sound. So, you know, if you want to learn how to control and be tight, um, you can hear everything perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And that's that's a really great way to, you know, see what you're doing wrong, probably. And, you know, because obviously if your feet aren't very good, then triggers are going to accentuate that. They're not going to make that any better. I hate all this fucking triggers cheating bullshit. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely triggers are good for that. Definitely to, to kind of understand and control your feet. But in a musical con context, kick drums brings so much other stuff like uh sorry kick drum microphone brings so much other stuff so like again dynamics learning how to not make the slow bits super loud and then the fast bits super quiet learning how to kind of even it out um kind of, again digging into the drum enough so that you get a good tone out of the drum um because again you can with triggers you can just tap away and there's no you know there's no difference so yeah, it's it's a really hard question, but I think yeah, I think I think there's massive benefits to both, and I think if you're able to do both, if you're able to practice regularly with both, that is ideal. <laughs> I know that's probably not possible for most people, but um, but yeah, I think they're both different beasts, and they both bring very different things to the table. And I mean, I still like playing with triggers every now and again. Um, I'm kind of on a microphone realistic kick 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 if that makes sense um at the moment so i'm leaning more towards microphone at the moment but yeah i don't know i don't know if that's answered the question i've just kind of rambled for five minutes but yeah they're both both very different and they both serve different purposes but i definitely think triggers do have their benefits especially if you're trying to kind of tighten up your feet maybe because you can hear yourself better which is you know which is very important right okay i'm going to move on to these last couple of bits right so pedals chain or direct drive uh chain all the way i've always been a chain drive guy something about direct drives i don't love i think i always like a little bit of almost like lag on the pedal i like to feel like i'm doing more than the pedal is if that makes sense i don't know if that makes sense but yeah i just prefer the feel of chain i don't like the lightness generally of direct drives a little bit too light i like heavy pedals the i will be honest the tama dynasync the new tama direct drives are the best 
um, direct drives that I've played. And that's not just because I'm biased, obviously, because I'm a Tama artist, but it's because they are kind of somewhere in between a direct drive and a probably like a belt drive. They're closer to like a belt drive kind of feel, but you can also kind of edit them so much that you can make them feel like a regular chain drive pedal. So they're really, really interesting. But on the whole, chains for me, 100%, double chain all the way. Um, you can just kick it harder and, you know, go go a bit more crazy. Right. Um, chocolate or cake? Oh, 100% chocolate. Chocolate all the way. Um, my, uh, my wife likes cake and I like chocolate. Um, so which is kind of good. I mean, I like cake. I'll eat cake. But fucking chocolate, dude. I could eat chocolate all day. And I do pretty much eat chocolate all day at the moment because it's COVID pandemic. Who cares? Um, but yeah, so chocolate. Right. Any underground bands you're into right now? Um, so, ah, I'm not sure if I've mentioned them already, but Benighted, uh, one of my favorite bands at the moment. French death metal band. Baptists, Canadian kind of um, power violence band. Uh, oh, I can't think of any more off the top of my head. Uh, oh, man, this is tough. I should have done more preparations, didn't I? Right, I'm going to have to do a Q&A part two, aren't I? And fill in all the blanks on these. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, he says one more. King Diamond or Merciful Fate? If I'm honest, not a huge fan of either. It's a real sticking point in Carcass because uh, obviously they're huge fans of both and I've just never really got it. Uh, I think it's his voice. Does it? I've never been a big fan of that kind of vocal. Uh, but definitely merciful fate of the two. Um, but again, not a huge fan of either. So sorry to uh, offend anyone or piss anyone off. Bringing Deftones influences into Carcass and um, not saying I like uh, King Diamond or Merciful Fate. It's just sacrilege, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so I think that's all I'm going to do for now because it's been an hour and a half. I said I was going to keep it to an hour, but I didn't. Um, and so I'm sorry about that. I hope... I hope this has been all right for everybody. And I hope this is, hasn't been too boring. If you've made it to an hour and a half respect of just listening to my voice, then you, you're probably a little bit crazy. But yeah, respect to you. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I'll definitely do another one of these so that I can get some more questions from you in and answer some more questions. And maybe I'll structure it and prepare it a little bit more next time so that uh, so that it doesn't take so long and I just ramble on for so long. But yeah, Um yeah, thank you so much to absolutely everybody. Uh, there's been a couple of, obviously, questions about merch. I've been speaking to my merch friends over the last couple of weeks. So keep posted. There will be some podcast merch, which is going to be sick. Um, and, yeah, just keep on with the podcast. Next week is going to be a really good one. And I've got two more guests lined up directly after that. And then, yeah, who knows what will happen from there. It's just uh, it's fun. It's all good fun. So, yeah, thank you so much to everybody for listening. If you've listened to all of this legend thank you to everybody for the questions and i will see you or speak to you all next week have a good week stay safe and cheers guys bye